Good morning. Welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Michael Talercio. I'm the pastoral intern of Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. I'm glad to be back with you today for day 392. Um, I, it's been been a while. Uh, you, you might have noticed over the last couple of weeks that I am walking us through the gospel according to Mark. And Pastor Jason had a number of passages back to back to back with First Samuel and then Psalms and more of First Samuel. And so I'm happy to be back with you today uh, for Mark chapter 7. And a question that I thought might be helpful for us to frame today's little devotional is this. Have you ever experienced the joy of agreeing with God even when it hurts? Hopefully we'll see that as we encounter uh, Jesus' words in today's text. Uh, But before we encounter the word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us uh, this passage of Scripture, which we need your Spirit to open to us today. We pray that he would do that uh, and that he would transform us as we interact with the living Lord Jesus through the page. Thank you so much, O Father, for your Son, uh, who is our King and who is the King who doesn't owe us anything, but stands ready to provide what we need. We pray, Father, that today we would see that afresh and that we would be enlivened because of it. For his glory, in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart? but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. 
For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What a glorious word this is. Jesus gives us some hard truth today, but it's for our good to believe it. And it's hard not just because of the impact that it has on us, but it's hard to understand kind of what's going on even in the details of the passage, at least in the first section, verses 1 to 13. So let's look at that. Jesus is carrying on in his ministry, and again, the Pharisees are coming to him with complaints. This time they're upset that he and his disciples are not washing their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders, verse 3. Uh, and just to be clear, the elders here are not concerned that Jesus and his disciples are going to get sick because they haven't cleaned themselves up before dinner and their hands are all dirty and they're going to get diseased. That's, that's not what their concern is. They're concerned that Jesus and his disciples aren't respecting the tradition that the Pharisees have regarding ceremonial type washing. And we see that it's ceremonial type washing just from the parentheses there in verse 3. Uh, Mark goes on and on with some of the things that the Pharisees would wash before they would eat, including uh, cups, pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. Um, and Jesus sees through what they're really getting at here. He sees through their hypocrisy, as he calls it in verse 6. He quotes Isaiah to say that the Pharisees are honoring God with their lips. They're claiming to do the things that they're doing, including this tradition of washing hands, 
in order to honor God, but really what they're doing is they're establishing their own tradition and they're leaving the doctrines that God has called them to. Verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men, Jesus says to the Pharisees. And so the question for us is, how are we tempted perhaps, to set aside a portion of God's word in order to justify our preferences on a given matter. The Pharisees are doing that in the text, albeit in a sort of difficult-to-follow kind of way. Uh, Jesus is clarifying there in verse 10 that Moses had said, God, through Moses, had said, honor your father and your mother, right? That's right from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. And then right from Exodus 21, the next chapter over, Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But then the Pharisees are giving an occasion, they're promoting and encouraging people to actually go against what the scriptures teach. So whereas the Pharisees are complaining that Jesus is, you know, doing whatever he's doing, but not holding to the tradition of the Pharisees, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you are not only insisting on holding to the, your tradition, but you're actually negating God's word in the process of doing so. You're actually encouraging people to dishonor their mother and the father, to not provide for them by withholding uh, income or uh, certain resources because they're going to later dedicate them to God so that they're not able to provide for their parents, you're allowing, you're encouraging that sort of behavior, Pharisees, at the expense of clear scriptural commands like honor your father and your mother and don't revile your father and your mother. You're holding to your tradition in the place of God's commands. So he's actually turning around what they're saying against him and saying, not only am I not at fault, but you are actually at fault. Not only are you hypocritical, but you're actually disobeying God. That's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. How are we tempted to do the same is the question. Well, there's no end to the to the ways that we might set aside a portion of God's word in order to try to justify ourselves in seemingly keeping another portion of his word. I mean, just think about tax season, right? And kind of in keeping with what we just read here, financially, uh, monetarily speaking, um, isn't it easy for us sometimes to at least be tempted to fudge the numbers on our taxes so that we can come in just under the next tax bracket up and kind of keep a larger portion of income in the end? Uh, we might be tempted to justify that sort of behavior by saying, oh, well, this will give us opportunity to tithe more. When Jesus has clearly told us in scripture to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. See, we might be uh, tempted to, to justify acting on our own preferences by negating or disobeying a portion of God's word. Um, Another example could be for for those who are single, uh, perhaps single and lonely, and just tired of waiting. It, it's a challenge to wait on the Lord's timing. But don't fall into the temptation to neglect what God clearly says in Second Corinthians six fourteen, for example, that you shall not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Don't buy into that popular way of thinking where you're going to, you know, 
try to invest your time in winning over the the cute girl from your biology class who's not a believer, uh, you're going to enter into that relationship in order to to evangelize her, right? Uh, that's a way of trying to justify what Jesus, what the scriptures have clearly told us uh, to avoid uh, and trying to Christianize it, right? Trying to make it seem like it's really for God. The Lord knows your heart. <laughs> and in fact, in the scripture here today, he says, verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. <laughs> um, so let's not let our preferences uh, trump Jesus's word to us. And interestingly, it's not just a matter of hypocrisy, as bad as that is. That's the real problem. Jesus will explain further in verses 14 to 23 that the hypocrisy is actually the result of something far worse. It's the result of our hearts being corrupt at the core. This is where the real challenging nature of this text comes in. Um, this is a, this is extremely difficult for us to, to reconcile with. But here is Jesus at his clearest. Here is God at his kindest to give us his son speaking directly to our problem. There's nothing that from the outside that by going into a person can defile him. Um, it's what comes out of a person that's what defiles him. Jesus Christ said that to us. That immediately negates all sorts of false ideas about what Christianity really is. Christianity is not something that you add to your life in order to be more godly. Christianity is the teaching of Scripture, Mark 7 included, that says that we are helpless we are incapable of doing anything, externally speaking, to make ourselves right with God. In fact, we need something so deep, something so powerful to happen inside of us that it can get to what is really untouchable by anything we can offer, by anything that we can give, by anything that we can do. We need God to save us. And, and he's just making that very clear. As the king who can actually do that saving work, Jesus is cutting right to the core issue. He's getting right to the heart, literally. And then he shows us, Mark uh, shows us, Jesus then, uh, interacting with somebody who, in whom God is doing that kind of work, with the Syrophoenician woman in verses 24 to 30. Here's a woman who is not a Jew. Uh, she is a Gentile. And the words that Jesus speaks to her on the surface seem very harsh. And in fact, they are. This isn't a tender comment from Jesus here. But it's intentionally delivered by him. And Mark is including it here at this moment to make a point. It's because the proper heart attitude towards God that we ought to, and in fact must have, is one of dependence. It's one of depending on God for his provision in the face of our unworthiness to receive it. And it's, it's interesting that it's a food example that, that's being given, that Jesus brings up in, in verses 18 to 20 specifically. 
Because he's highlighting this Syrophoenician woman's clean heart in light of the dirty heart that he's just been describing in the previous section. See, the heart that's healed by God is the heart that's dependent upon God, even in the face of correction from God, or a challenging word, we might say, from God, from Jesus. That's what happens when Jesus calls this woman, in the metaphor there, a dog. He says, in verse uh, 27, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So he's he's calling, he's implying that this woman is a dog. Now that's uh, a Semitic idiom, an expression for Gentile there. But it's it's not just that, right? He's using a metaphor and he's saying that the dogs are under the table and the children ought to be fed first. That's a harsh sounding word. And one thing we have to bear in mind in, in this section of text is that Jesus is the king who owes no one anything. If we forget that, we're going to twist the scriptures and we're going to almost insist that Jesus has to show compassion to this woman. But he doesn't. He doesn't owe her anything, and the language there brings that out. And yet the woman has a right heart response to Jesus because of the work of God on her heart. And so this woman is dependent on Jesus. She has a correct posture towards him. Unlike what we're going to see in this last section of text, verses 31 down to the end, and this is a section that's unique to Mark, a healing of this deaf man who is also mute, it only appears here, and it's situated by Mark to contrast uh, the Syrophoenician woman with the people after this man is healed. Uh, the people bring this man to Jesus, and then they deliberately defy him at the end of the text, which we'll come to in just a second. But notice verse 34. This is somewhat uncharacteristic of Jesus in his healings in general. He looks up to heaven before he heals the man, and he sighs and then says, be opened. And then the ears of the man are opened, his tongue is released, and he speaks plainly. And Jesus then charges those who were there, those who brought this man to him, to tell no one. But as we've been seeing throughout Mark's gospel, the people continue to defy Jesus. These aren't people that are dependent on Jesus. These are people who think they know better than him. They disobey his word to not make this known. And in fact, Mark writes, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And so it's, it's interesting that the people can't understand why they ought to stay silent about Jesus when he's been able to do all things well. But they ought to, because the one who does all things well tells them to. You see, the question for us over and over throughout today's passages, will we experience the joy of agreeing with God even when it hurts, even when we might not want to? Jesus is the king who owes no one anything, and he stands ready to bless us as we go to him in need. But will we? Well, let's do it now. Let's go to him as people who are needy, for this king who can give what he doesn't have to 
to people who need what he has but don't deserve it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us your son who is our king. And whether we submit to him or not, he is the king. But we pray that he would be our king in a personal way that we would depend on him for what we need, for what we don't deserve, for what he can give, but for what he doesn't have to give. And we pray, Father, that we would experience just the sheer delight of taking him at his word. When he says that there's nothing that can go into us that will defile us, and by implication, there's nothing that we can put into us that will clean us, we pray that we would depend on him for the type of healing that he alone can provide, the kind of healing for our hearts that he alone has the authority to to do, to remedy. He, he alone has the ability to transform people. Be our king, O Jesus, we pray today and evermore. In your name, amen. Well, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, serve Jesus Christ today, our King, with gladness, knowing what he's like, knowing who he is, knowing what he doesn't owe us, and knowing what he wants to give. Serve him for his glory. Go well, brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm.